Hi, folks. This is Gospel of Kennison, episode 77, brought to you the week of August 29th, 2018. I am your host. My name is James Kennison, and welcome to my personal audio journal. This week, I'm answering questions from Facebook. I got online, and I uh, pulled up my Facebook, and I looked up um, the NLCast community, and I put a post up that said, hey, uh, you know, ask me some questions, and I'll answer them on the podcast, because... I had a couple things I could talk about, but they were pretty heavy, and we've had some heavy ones, so I figured, why not a lightweight one, you know? A, a little happy, happy time. So that's what we did. Um, question number one comes to us from Nate. He says, what piece of pop culture has most influenced you as a person, or has influenced who you are as a person today? And um, I really gave that some thought, and I don't know that I have an, a satisfying answer because I couldn't think of a single piece of pop culture that influenced who I am as a person. I think a lot of other things did. I think people did. I think situations did. But my toys and my TV shows, I couldn't think. I mean, I was thinking hard, and I couldn't think of a single thing that made any, you know, any significant change in my life. Um, but I did think of something that disappointed me the most. <laughs> so it, it, it didn't influence me, but it disappointed me. So here's that. When I was young, I loved Star Wars. I didn't know why. I guess because my friends did. I wasn't allowed to see it. Um, I had seen a very grainy uh, version on television at some point, uh, th through a lot of static, uh, but I didn't get it. I didn't know what was going on. I think it was just the trench scene at the very end. And, and that's all I had seen. I had characters. I would draw pictures. Um, eventually my mom took me to see return of the Jedi. That was my first one I ever saw really. And, um, I didn't really get it. I just liked Dagobah a lot. And I would draw pictures of vines hanging from the top of the page and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, I made up, uh, I made up, uh, names for my characters because I didn't know who they were. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I saw his picture, uh, you know, on the package, but, uh, we didn't keep the packages back then that gummit. it. Um, so Obi-Wan, since he had a robe, um, and a lightsaber, I knew the lightsaber, I knew he was a Jedi. It came out of his arm, um, but so the the little uh, Jawas, they had uh, they had little hoods on too, and I had a Jawa, and so I knew there was a lot of those. So um, Obi Wan became the Jawas' dad, and um, Luke. I didn't have Luke Skywalker, um, the normal one. I had him from his time in a snowspeeder, uh, you know, in at the beginning of. Uh, What's it called? Star Wars Episode 5 Return. No, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so I, I had him in his pilot outfit, you know, an orange jumpsuit and the helmet. And I think he still had a, uh, a lightsaber. Um, I didn't really know what he did. I just knew he was Luke and that he didn't look like any of the Lukes that I had ever seen because I'd never seen Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I had Leia, but I believe I had Leia again from um, Empire Strikes Back. 
and I had and I didn't know who she was. I had um, one of the rarest figures of all time. Um, it's the one. It looks. It, you see it for a while at the beginning of uh, episode four when all the bots are lined up and uh, Uncle Owen is trying to buy one. He he. It's this tall. Cylindrical robot. He's black and he's got tons of arms, little little robot arms that look like uh, those lamp, those desk lamps that move around all over the place with a big arm, you know, um, kind of like Crow T robots arms. Uh, that that thing apparently is some sort of medical droid, but I didn't know that, and I didn't know that it was going to be worth thousand dollars or something like that in the package. Because no one bought one. I, I got all the leftovers because they went on sale. My mom would buy me some. This Joker um, became a, um, a a fuel station. That's what I used him for. He His little arm would come out and he would fill up your tank and you would go on about your business. Uh, but that, that was fine. That was my experience with it. So when my mother told me um, to get really excited about my birthday... I was. I did what she told me to do. I was very obedient, got very excited. I unwrapped my presents, and um, I had a complete uh, Millennium Falcon toy. It was so flipping awesome. The box was a little small, but I didn't care because I figured, you know, I, I didn't even think about it. It was just, it was the one that I'd seen online, or not online, on television with the, you know, holds the figures, had the little hideaway uh, area. Uh, for for stowing the characters it was going to be amazing and i opened up this small box and like i said big disappointment it was not in fact the toy it was a model kit and it was not to scale of any kind to you know relative to the toy it was just you know maybe the size of a of a saucer uh for tea you know and uh, my mother, I could tell now when I remember her face, was uh, was a tiny bit disappointed. She realized she had messed up. See, my mom still to this day is the kind of person that accidentally would buy, like, instead of Jungle King, I mean, uh, the, the Lion King, she would buy the Jungle King videos that are on the end cap because she thought, oh, that's Lion King. You know, it's cheap. Yeah, they're a dollar. You know, it's it's cheap. It's great. Um, and and so there are people out there that that don't pay, uh, you know, or notice and pay attention to what they're getting there, and they they see a deal and they grab it. My mom had obviously seen model kit. Now back then, model kits were cheaper than they are now. From what I hear now, they're crazy expensive because they're kind of popular again or whatever. But back then, they were really cheap. It was like eight dollars or something uh, in 1980 money. Um, and, and and so for a split second, she's disappointed, but then she pretends like that's what she intended all along. And um, I, I know it wasn't intended because uh, it was later, later in the week that the paints and the glues and the necessaries were uh, brought. And um, I, I was disappointed, but I enjoyed trying to put the thing together, but I was disappointed by the 
the fact that I didn't do a very good job. And when I did, it wasn't something you could play with. I kind of figured I was holding out hope that I was building the toy for a, quite a while. Like I thought maybe this is how it came because I, I didn't know, you know, you're a kid, you're dumb. And uh, yeah, when I got it together, it was rather flimsy and crackly and pieces would fall off and I lost the, you know, antenna and the guns didn't work. And the, the, I remember the uh, canopy on the cockpit, the, the little uh, plastic, you know, you try to glue it in there and, and you get fingerprints all over it with the glue and it's foggy and there's a tiny little Han and, and Chewbacca molded into the seat, you know, as one. It, it, it was not uh, was not the toy and it didn't play like a toy. So there you go. What piece of pop culture influenced me the most uh, as a person today? Possibly that that experience right there, um, because now I don't do models and I don't I, I pay very close attention to what I'm getting when I buy things. <laughs> so maybe it did influence me after all. Michael Prince says, in what ways is your faith or doctrine slash doctrine different now than it was 10 years ago? And to keep it simple, I would say that um uh, if, if you don't know, if it's your first time listening, the reason why he's asking that, um, not only because, you know, 10 years have passed and I'm older and, and in theory wiser, but also because I went through um, the better part of the last 10 years have been a battle with depression and anxiety and uh, major depressive disorder, you know, bipolar uh, anxiety, uh, bipolar type two, um, thankfully. So I wanted to get down and dirty with this question, uh, but I want to keep it simple, keep it upbeat. If I had to summarize everything that I've learned, I'll, I, I can get it down to, to one thing. And if I if you forced me, I would say two things. But I don't expect the same things from God that I used to. That's the biggest deal. I used to believe that God did a lot more good things. Than, than he actually does. And I know this sounds horrible and it probably even sounds, um, uh, you know, blasphemous or whatever, but I, I used to read the Bible and I'd say, okay, there was a bad God. You know, the mean God was in the old Testament and the nice God is in the new Testament. What is the discrepancy? And what I've realized is God hasn't changed. He is unchanging. The God of the old Testament is still very much alive and well, he is not, uh, the God that we, uh, have created him to be in 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 later years in my humble opinion please you know ignore me if this in any way challenges your faith um but you know the people argue uh on the street and they'll say how how could god be loving when he sends people to hell who is loving god and and that's because we've painted him as a loving god and and we have experienced that love through his son jesus christ and we know that he does love but that hasn't altered any of the rest of him. He hasn't changed. He's still a judging God. He's still a God that says no. He's still a God that allows people to suffer. Um, and I say allows, not not causes, um, but he allows people to wallow in the um, the hell that they've created for themselves on this planet. Does that make sense? Um 
And I believe that the hell that we create for ourselves on this planet, if we are living in sin, begins before we die, and and we just take it with us in the afterlife. So does God send people to hell? No. People send themselves to hell, and they start on the earth. Same, I think, goes with Christians, on the other hand, who are trying to live for God. You know, you create, you know, what do they say, on earth as it is in heaven? You, you can create a little bit of heaven on earth uh, through your obedience and your, your, uh, your surrender. Um, but I'm getting off point. My, my main thing I would just want to say, and I'm just going to say it, I just don't believe God does as many nice things as people uh, expect him to do. And they set themselves up to fail. God is a good God, and he is, uh, but his will is his will. And we are not, he is not here for us. We are here for him. And um, so I think a lot of times what I would do is I imagine that I would just live my life and the best version of my life would be lived as a result of asking him for certain things and believing in him for certain things at certain points in my life. And that this, this glorified existence would, would just be a reality. And and the truth is um, that God is still going to be with you, uh, but he is going to let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, he is going to let certain people die of cancer. He is going to uh, sit by and let um, hurricanes happen and, and earthquakes and world disasters and things like that. And and it's not because he's evil. Um, it's just because <laughs> he's God and I don't have the answer for that. I'm just going by what I've read in the Bible and what I've experienced in my life. And God doesn't stop all the bad stuff. And he is a blesser. I believe he heals. I believe all these different things, but I also believe he has a mind of his own. It's like in Narnia when the lion's walking away there at the end of the movie and they say, yeah, he's good, but he's not tame. See, God's not Santa Claus, and he's not tame. He, he doesn't do what we want him to do. He's waiting for us to do what he wants us to do, and he's already got things in place, set up, benefits. Like I said earlier, that heaven on earth that can be created around us when we begin to obey. But we've prioritized everything else other than obedience. And I'm also talking about obedience to the Great Commission. We've made worship uh, a thing that we worship. We've made Bible reading a thing that we worship. We've made uh, church attendance a thing that we worship. These are the things that we judge our Christianity by. And the Bible says that that they will know we are Christians by our love. And greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Um, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing, or, you know, every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded, and then I'll be with you until the end of the age. I believe that we're not doing enough for God in our current state, so I don't expect as much back, because I believe that light, the Christian life is set up to automatically pay out <laughs> when when you obey, and, some, and, and, and I don't mean always good. I mean, you got just let's just be practical here. Look at Paul, the life of Paul. Look at John the Baptist. Look at the the three Hebrew boys. 
Um, look at uh, Moses and his his thing. Life or the the Bible is full of men and women uh, that that just you know did the best they could, but all of them had different outcomes. Some of them didn't get the promise that they 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 were promised or whatever. Uh, I mean, not really. I I mean that they didn't get to partake in the promise that the people were promised. Some of them were spared, but had to go through death itself to get there. Some of them, um, you know, was able to shake off a serpent into a fire and just walk away. Other ones had their dang heads chopped off and served on a platter. Um, you know, it's the Bible is full of realities of what God is and who God is. And, and, and he is good, but not how we understand goodness. And um, I think we would do better to fear God, to respect him and to allow him to have his way in our lives and just trust. I mean, even if he slays me, you know, I, I still serve, but we're, we've got it backwards where I'm going to worship and I'm going to pray and I'm going to read the Bible because I'm going to get closer to God and deep calls to deep and I'm going to get in there good with God and I'm going to generate some sort of um, uh, insurance policy that's going to keep me from having to face and deal with problems in my life. And then when the problems come, it, it throws you back against the wall and it just knocks you on your feet because you know, you have put so many things between you and God that you believe in. You believe in God as a healer. You believe in God as a provider. You believe in God as the, the lifter of your head. You believe in him as your strong tower, your mighty fortress. But nobody believes in God as, as the one that prunes us and burns us and, 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 and lights the fire under us. It burns off the chaff, you know. Um, nobody sings songs about that God. <laughs> But he's still there, and he's real, and he's one and the same. Um, you know, I think we get to experience God through the love of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus Christ is so, uh, you know, is is God. I believe, you know, all that good stuff, the basic Christian tenets of faith and all that. I'm just saying that the biggest thing that has changed in my life is um, that I don't expect the same things from God. I, I expect more from me, not that I'm earning, uh, my faith or, or earning my, um, my salvation is what I mean. Uh, I, I still believe that comes by, uh, by grace through faith. Um, but I believe that true spirituality isn't how much you worship, how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, how much you do these different things. I believe it's how much you serve. I believe it's how much you love other people. And I think that all of the rest of those things come um, as a result of following God's will for your life and in, in that being the Great Commission in your circle, in your world, uh, because you're going to need to read the Bible when you're obeying. Um, you're going to need to know what to do so that you can obey. Um, see, because I've realized faith, faith is not a belief. Um, otherwise faith without works would be, uh, alive or, or a word or a thing. Um, faith is literally, um, proving that you believe what God told you to do in the Bible by doing it. You can quote me on that. So, and you only need a little bit of it, apparently, 
to do great things. You only need to have heard a little bit. Um, but faith does come by hearing and all that. I'm getting I'm getting pretty deep in this hole. Uh, I'll just say that in in a nutshell again, I I believe that I don't expect the same things from God. I expect more from myself um, to give to Him, and I think uh, I quit caring about what He gives me because He's already given as much um, as I need and more than I ever deserved. And anything above burning in hell is a privilege. And so I don't worry about that anymore. I'm more about um, what I can do to fulfill my purpose and and to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, the second thing if uh, I mentioned earlier, if you forced me, it would be surrender. Um, just full surrender to the will of God. Because that's just what I've been brought to. A depression just beat the crap out of me and tore out everything. And then um, I'm still kind of rebuilding everything from spare parts. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I'm spiritually broken, which um, I'm not sure I ever want to be fixed. Because um, when you're broke, you need help. When you're broke, you don't have the answers and you're looking for them. So, uh, surrender to me, um, doesn't mean what it used to. I used to think of it as throwing up your hands, you know, and just kind of giving in or giving up. But I think surrender is literally dying. Like, like give, like dying, like living like you're dead. Like you don't have a will of your own. You don't have, um, the ability to, to want things for yourself um, or to expect things for yourself. You just, um, you, the only life that's in you is the life that, you know, is given to you. The only goodness in you is the goodness that is given to you. Um, It's a dark and dirty place uh, where I'm at right now. Don't mind saying but um, that's because I feel like I'm down in the dust in um, scrounging around trying to find purpose. And I would rather be feet on the ground, in the dirt, digging around for clues than sitting up on some sort of pedestal that I made myself that, uh, that could be kicked out from under me at any time. At least when I'm on the ground you can't go any further low, you know, and a lot of people were helped in the Bible who were on the ground uh, by Jesus. So I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. That's a salad bar answer. Take the good stuff, leave the yucky stuff. Um, Ashley Holbrook says, what are your top three hopes for each of your children as they eventually reach adulthood? And I appreciate your faith in in that they may eventually reach adulthood. I'm not always sure. Sometimes they scare me how fast they're growing up. And then other times it's like, oh, they're still three. That's that's just where they're at. They're still six. Um, I only have one hope for each of my children. And I can condense them into one thing. And that is I want them to stay who they are now. Um, I don't mean, you know, 
I don't mean that I want them to stay children uh, or young or immature or even innocent. I mean that I want them to stay true to who God made them to be. Right now, I can look at them and say, you know what? They're they're not perfect. I can already see life, you know, uh, you know, its effect on on them because they're getting older and stuff, and they 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 just have their own little character flaws, and and they have these great things about them as well. Uh, but they are who God created them to be right now. They haven't been broken and abused. They haven't um, been tortured or hurt or put through any kind of horrible trauma, but they've seen it through their parents, for, through me, you know, and my struggles. They've seen it through the friends that they've had. They are very, um, they're just in a good place. And as they grow up and go through college and, you know, all the different influences that are out there, I just, my biggest fear and my biggest hope is that they um, would stay who they are, that they would not allow the outward influences to change the core of who they are. Their beliefs may be different than mine when they get older, uh, politics or, you know, the ins and outs and all that. But in their heart of hearts, who God created them to be, I I pray and I hope... (laughs) I have to go very soon. Um, I pray and I hope that they will um, stay close with God and they will stay the person that God has created them to be and they will just become a better version of that. Um, because I've seen a lot of good good friends with their kids and, and they've had that. They've experienced that and it's been awesome. And then I've seen the opposite where great parents have raised great kids and then they have uh, decided to go elsewhere. Um the world always pays more and always looks more attractive. Um, the world always offers the easy route, at least at, at first. Um, you know, it's it's God's way that that uh, saves the best for last, uh, like in the, the 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 wedding in Canaan. So uh, we'll see. Um, see, I got I got time for a couple more before the break. Lucas Kirk says I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and prescribed a bipap. A, a BiPAP. I was, I have a, I have a CPAP machine. Um, but he says it helped me. I also believe you were diagnosed and treated. How's it helped you? The simple answer is it has allowed me to share a bed with my wife again. I was sleeping on a separate mattress, sometimes in a different room, sometimes in, in the walk-in closet, I'd set up a little room in there. Um, this was, you know, a couple years ago, but I was snoring so bad and snorting and, and, Apparently my lips were involved somehow, just a kind of thing on on the exhale. Uh, it was so bad that she couldn't sleep, and uh, being that she's making the most of the money right now, um, I I had to uh, sleep on the futon. So no, it's been great. I it took a long time to get used to. My nose had to get tough. I have the pillows where these just these little nozzles uh, touch my nostrils, and and it rubbed them raw there for a while. And I tried the full face mask, and that didn't work for me. Kept sliding off. It's very uncomfortable. Couldn't sleep. And uh, it's not my favorite, but I've begun to associate the feeling of it on my face with sleep. So it's one of the things that I find I have to do, even if I want to nap and I'm by myself, um, it it helps me to get into that mode. So I I have a CPAP machine um, and it just just blows air into my my nose, (laughs) keeps it open there. So I hope that helps. Holly Rooks says, what is the most amazing thing God has ever done for you? And the simple answer is that he stayed. 
um, when I was going through the darkest part of my depression, as I've said before, there was a, there was a lot of, um, there's a journey, you know, um, started off with a lot of, uh, a lot of what I would call faith, faith that God would fix things, faith that God would make things better. And then, you know, that kind of crashed as my life crashed around me and realized that, that I didn't have, um, real faith. Um, this faith is not belief. Faith is actions. And my actions did not pan out. I kind of let go of God and when not, not in a way, it's like when I was talking about surrender earlier, it's not in a way that, um, like I started not being a Christian, like I quit believing. It was just, I didn't have the spiritual, uh, mental, physical energy to love God with all my heart, mind and, and soul and strength. And I just kind of released him. And in that moment, I found out that he did not release me. And that was so awesome because I always thought that 90% of my relationship with God was on me. Like I had to chase him. I had to pursue him. Um, there's a great book called God Chasers, you know, and, and, and there's legitimacy there. But um, in my life, I found that when I couldn't maintain, when I couldn't chase um, when I, when I, when I did kind of drop his hand or tried to, uh, he did not and he stayed and we're still working things out, him and I, uh, mostly on my end. Uh, <laughs> but that is the greatest thing God has ever done for me is, uh, is he stayed. The second most amazing thing probably was having my, I don't, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's wife and kids and stuff like that. But you said the most amazing thing. So, um, Janusz Trispek says, what was your dream job growing up? Well, it depends on when you ask. Um, when I was a little kid, about four, four years old, I definitely remember looking through one of those uh, um, golden little golden books um, where there was a city full of animals uh, dressed as people and they were doing different jobs. And there was a bear and uh, he was a cop and he drove around on a motorcycle. I definitely remember telling my mom I wanted to be a teddy bear cop when I grew up and it got, it might've been one of my first laughs. I don't know. Cause I got a good laugh there. Um, later when I was eight years old, nine, 10, somewhere in there, I felt the call to become a pastor. Um, and so I was planning on doing that. Uh, when I got into high school, my plans were to um, either go to Bible school or art school, Savannah School of Art and Design. Uh, neither of those panned out. Um, I spent a, a portion of my life wanting to be a Christian musician. Um, I wrote songs and performed and had a band and uh, never really went anywhere past our small town and a couple of youth uh, events and an outreach. Um, but you know, John Steinklopper was in that band. <laughs> so, uh, co-host on that story show. So it was pretty fun, but, um, eventually just reminded, I was reminded, uh, in my, uh, young adult years of my original calling to be a pastor. 
my wife and I packed it up, went to Bible school, um, and then moved to Kansas City, and the rest is history, as they say. So uh, I'm I'm still. Th- I, if you want to know what I've done, I could list off all the jobs I've ever had. I could try that. My first job was at uh, Roland's Grocery Store in uh, St. Mary's, Georgia. It's no longer in existence, and it's probably my fault. Uh, but I was a grocery bagger. I did that for two years. Um, I worked at a car wash. Um, vacuuming out cars and uh, pre-cleaning and getting my feet ran over by an automated um, car pulling system occasionally. Uh, Very cold in the winter with all the water. Um, I worked at a Hardee's for a little while on the grill. I, um, yeah, let's see. (laughs) I worked as a detailer at a uh, Kingsland... um, auto dealership in Georgia. And then I spent some time being, um, Oh no, I, I delivered sub sandwiches for a submarine sub place. I don't know what it was called. Submarine something in Georgia. And that was horrible. Cause I don't know directions and it was dark and you couldn't see anybody's, uh, addresses. It was, it was the worst. Nowadays it would be a breeze. Um, I was a parts driver at, at a, auto dealership um, where I drive between Jacksonville and Kingsland and several places shipping parts back and forth. And um, eventually I was a temp in Macon, Georgia. Uh, I, I got to work on the cherry blossom festival there. I got to work for a copy store. This you know, office stuff typing. I worked for a lawyer for a day typing letters and, um, but then eventually I got a job um, doing artwork for a t-shirt shop and, and printing. I also printed shirts. I did that for a number of years and uh, at night taught myself how to do HTML. Eventually got a job down the street at um, what was called MyLink uh, Internet Services. I did that for quite a while. Um, even, even after we moved to Florida to pursue uh, the ministry, I was able to work remotely through the internet. It's a novel concept back then, uh, 20 years ago, but um, especially with dial-up. But then I worked at, in college, I worked at a Blockbuster for a while. And um, I think that's the only job I held while we were there because I was a college guy. And then um, we moved to Kansas City. And I have had uh, jobs in ministry ever since. I was an intern for two years. I did um, middle school ministry for a year. I did youth or children's ministry for eight, I think. And then uh, another three here in, uh, in Florida. And um, you know, also podcasting, if you want to count that as a job. Once it started, you know, I don't know. I like it, so I I call it a job, and then of course you know doing artwork on the side. So I think that guy, guy has this all caught up. Now I'm a stay-at-home dad, and um, it doesn't pay anything, but it pays in love. Paul Guybout says, "Hey, um, tell us one or two things you've learned from the city of St. Louis, whether from its people, the way its neighborhoods functions, the vibe, the culture of the city, or how you want to spin the question. However, you want to spin the question." 
Um, to, you know, right now is a bad time to ask me this question because I don't like St. Louis right now <laughs> because it stresses me out. Um, it's, it's a great city. It really is. It has a lot going for it. It's beautiful. Um, it's got the arch, you know, there's all this art and culture and great food and, and stuff. And there's quirkinesses and all this, but there's also, it, it's a dark, it's a wonderful and dark city. That's, that's what I put down on my notes. And, and that, I want to stick to that. It's a wonderful, but dark city. Um, people here, it's like, I mean, not to get overly spiritual, but if you believe what the Bible says about principalities and powers and stuff, there's a, there's a dark cloud that hangs over this city and it's a cloud of pride. And I'm not talking about, um, the good pride, like, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm providing for my family. Um, I'm also not talking about the pride that people use for other things. I'm just, I'm talking about self-importance, a lack of compassion, a lack of love. Um, it's basically a group of people that love their city, but hate each other. And it comes out in the way we drive, the way we shop around each other, um, everything. And, um, and, and I'm not even just talking uh, racial tensions. I'm talking about just across the board, uh, no matter, you know, whether they, the person that you're, uh, bumping into is your race or not. There seems to be just a lot of, of contention and strife. And it seems to be, it boils down to people putting themselves before others. It's just a lot of selfishness. It causes a lot of the crime. It causes a lot of the, um, the bad driving around here. And, and, um, and, and, and the lack of compassion causes a lot of the racism and stuff around here. And, um, I know people have said that the uh, minorities can't be racist because they don't benefit from racism. Um, I would just say that there is hate. I won't argue that part. I'll just say, but there is hate on, on, on both sides and it's not serving anyone. Well, um, hate eats you alive, no matter what color you are on the outside. And, um, yeah, it's, it's sad. It really is. It, it, It gets me, um, especially since I deal with anxiety, I'm anxious a lot because I'm just waiting for someone to run into me with their car and start screaming at me, even if it was their fault. Um, People are just not nice here. And I miss that about, um, like, Kansas City, people are nice. There's still enough of the South or the Midwest or whatever in them. St. Louis is too big. Um, they're, They're very prideful about, you know, if you were born here or not. And if you were raised here, but not born here, people don't ever leave. It's just a very dark place, but, but it has a lot of potential, not a lot of churches, not a lot of churches that are doing anything. That's for dang sure. Um, especially in the black community. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of, uh, pastor worship, uh, a lot of traditions that keep folks either bound up or keep them out of the services altogether. And I'm looking forward to being a part of, um, of the community in Dutchtown and, uh, working with my friend David, uh, at the, uh, Melvin reaching out to the neighborhood and, and showing people a better way, showing people hope 
Um, that's kind of our, our linchpin keyword there is hope. People need hope. If they can see something beyond what, what they see day to day, which is the strife and the selfishness, and I've got to look out for myself because, by God, nobody else will. If they could see past that um, with some hope, um, I think they could see the possibility of and the benefits of love and responding in peace and putting other people first. But there's been so much hurt and pain here. Um, and, and, and the city's 250 years old plus it's, uh, it's nothing new, something, something dark is here. So pray for St. Louis, pray for your own city too. Uh, but I, but I, I look forward to helping St. Louis become a better place. And that's why I'm here because I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for the call and if it wasn't for my friend, David, if it wasn't for the ministry that I feel like we're going to be able to do here. I would not live in St. Louis. I would if people were nice, but they're not. Emily Adamson says, I'm almost four months married. Any advice for newlyweds? Oh, boy. Um, let me just tell you one thing. I don't know if you're Christian or not, but if you are, then you've probably heard the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, you know, your anger. A lot of newlyweds take take that to mean um, don't stay up. or, or They take that to mean that if you get in an argument, at night, then you cannot go to bed until it's resolved. That is the terriblest, most demonic thing ever. It's a mistranslation and it's not true. What? <laughs> um, because the chances are um, you started the fight after, I have a theory that fights start at night after 1030 and anything that starts after 1030, you need to go to bed and talk about it the next day when your emotions and your sleepiness isn't, isn't all there in your face. Um, the Bible does not say stay up until you resolve things. Um, it, it's just common sense. Go to sleep if you can, um, and then wake up and talk about it fresh the next day. Give yourself some breathing room. I just do that. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> um, and I, and I wouldn't wager my salvation on my interpretation of this, but, uh, I just don't, don't do that to yourself you know, just staying up and fight, you know, people do that. It's truth. So anyway, um, don't stay up all night fighting, take care of the other person. 100%. Um, be selfless, take care of the other person. Don't think about yourself. What does the Bible say about love? That is patient and kind. It's not self-serving. It, it, um, believes the best. Uh, it's it's never jealous or boastful, or proud or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. As First Corinthians thirteen four through five. That was my verse today that I that I really focused on. It's um it's easy to love people, um, and I say that tongue in cheek, um, but then you start become becoming um an, a li a list maker of people who aren't loving you in return and you get very prideful. Um, I've struggled with that recently where I feel like oh, I'm, I'm enlightened now. I'm loving people more. I'm less angry, you know? So I got that part of love down, I'm not easily angered, but now I'm prideful and I'm keeping a list of people that aren't like me who, who are not responding in love. And um, it, given that I live in uh, St. Louis where people don't love each other, that that's kind of easy to do to get prideful. So, um, Take care of the other one 100% because if you do that, if you truly love them um, and you can trust them to do the same for you, then everybody gets taken care of. Um, true love 
is 100% giving of self. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's both people giving 100% of themselves um, and, and, and being completely involved. I would say communicate about everything. I have a new saying here at the house called never say nothing. Um, and, and, it, and it translates basically to say to mean that when I ask you what's wrong, never say nothing. Don't tell me nothing. Because if I'm asking what's wrong, something's wrong. I didn't ask for no reason. And, um, and that sounds like an attitude thing. It, it was recently with my son because we're working on that with him. What's wrong? Nothing. Don't tell, never say nothing, you know? Uh, but even with your spouse, um, you know, you, you need to ask them and they, and then you need to, when they ask you, you need to tell them, even if it's just simply, I, I don't know how to express what I'm saying. I just feel sad right now, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. It's not you or it is you. Um, we'll talk about, give me 10 minutes and then I'll be able to answer you. You know, never say nothing. Nothing's wrong because that's a lie. And, and it, and it, uh, for ladies, when they say it, it's like you want your man to already know what's wrong. Um, you want him to be able to swoop in and fix it and, and to, to get it right. And we're not mind readers and we need your help and guidance as much as humanly possible. Please have mercy on your husband, ladies. And, and tell them, um, and don't accuse them. Don't be like, you hate me. You think I'm ugly. It, it Try to word it like, I feel like you think I'm ugly. I, I'm having troubles and I, and I believe this and I need you to prove me wrong. You know, there's ways to word it to where you're not putting words in somebody or thoughts in somebody's head and words in somebody's mouth. Okay. Um, so never say nothing. Always express and 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 then um, uh, this goes hand in hand with it. My next thing is pursue your partner's well-being. Pursue them. Find out how they're doing. What's going on in their day? Um, how how are they feeling? Um, are you loving them properly? What do they need from you that they're not getting? Ask those questions. Find out those answers. Learn their love languages. Um, I know that's like a pop culture Christian kind of thing, but everybody has a way that they love or, or they like to be loved and they typically love others that way. And if your um, love language doesn't line up with theirs, um, there could be problems. Um, somebody could be working their butt off because they value um, security and that's how they express their love is by providing that somebody else comes along and they're, and they're like, you know, they're, they're secure. They don't, you know, I, anyway, point being, make sure that you are aggressively pursuing your partner's well-being, making sure that they're fine, making sure that they're happy. Uh, and, 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 and hopefully prayerfully they're doing the same for you. Uh, and then lastly, I would just say, hold one another accountable. Um, you need each other's passwords. You need each other access to each other's phones and, and, uh, locations and things like that. Not in a creepy way, just in an accountability way. You're married. You're, you're not just friends. You're married. You are one flesh. You are together. Um, you're not supposed to have separate lives. You're not supposed to have secrets. Um, and if you value honesty, um, then you need to open up every part of your life to them. This will keep husbands off porn sites. It'll keep, um, you know, creeps from hitting on your wife. It'll, it'll go a long way um, in a, in a, with just very little effort. 
so so uh, hold one another accountable. Um, I hope that helps. Uh, Jeremy Duncan says, what is your take on politics? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm sure people would love to know. I don't like politics. They, uh, they make me sad and they stress me out. It makes people that I like uh, a little unlikable. <laughs> and uh, it, it hurts me because there's people I like. And, and then I hear them talking and they, they sound like they're mad and angry. And here's the thing about politics is people have equated somehow or another Christianity with being Republican um, or Democrat. You know, it depends on if you're, if you're uh, well, a black person or a white person, to be honest. Um, and, and, and we, we think that, that our religion and our politics are um, the same and they're not, they're not. You need to vote. Uh, if you're voting, vote, vote with your heart, not, not your, uh, you know, vote your convictions. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of Christians got behind our current president and that's fine. Whatever. Like I said, I honestly don't care. Uh, I don't like it. I don't get involved, but my opinion would be, um, you, 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 you could argue whether he's a bad president or a good president, but we can't argue on really whether he's a good person or not. And so many Christians jumped in his bandwagon um, for reasons that they would have never jumped into anybody else's. They, they turned a blind eye to immorality and all that just basically. So Hillary wouldn't get put in office. Um, I didn't like either candidate. And um, I don't mind saying that. I think each of them would have been equally as destructive I just know that with Trump in office, at least um, the press and the media are going to hold him to task the entire time, and um, he's not going to really be able to get away with much. So, um, whereas with the other side, um, you know, they would have given Hillary a, a, a pass. Um, but honestly, I uh, I don't like the news. Um, I don't like politics. I, I'm kind of like, um, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Uh, the way I live my life is I kind of just live in my world, um, my neighborhood, my my kids' worlds, my wife's world, and we exist. And I look around my world, my neighborhood, my city, and I live there. And I go by what I see. And, um, I see needs and, um, I try to meet those needs when I can. And so that's, that's what I do. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't care. I'm not a politic follower. I'm not a hobbyist. I don't really see the point. I, I believe in government. I pray for my, uh, leaders, you know, and all that good stuff. Um, just not a big fan. Can't handle it right now. Um, and and I used to be a hardcore right wing kind of guy. And uh, to be honest, I see bull crap on both sides. Um, each side thinks the other's stupid and ignorant and ungodly. And each of them want the same things. They they truly believe that their solution is going to fix everything. Um. But really, it's all bullcrap because it's just folks that want to get voted in to an office. 
really. I think people start with good intentions with government. Um, but human nature takes over. And once you get that power, you know, it, it just becomes about what you have to do to, to keep your job. So, yeah. Anyway, so much for a light episode. Austin Smith says, Darth Vader versus Voldemort, who would win? Now, I gave this a lot of thought. A lot of thought. Um, because I, it's a hard question. If you really want to get into it, you know, you have this uh, Jedi with, with powers to push people and pull people and, you know, Accio things to himself and, you know, that kind of stuff uh, with his own Jedi made of and But he's in a torture suit, you know, that, that gives him constant pain. Um, he's an old man, I'm assuming, uh, if we're going for the classic Vader. And uh, he's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. He has a lightsaber and he has some basic, you know, force powers, like I said. Meanwhile, Voldemort has magic. Um, I don't know that he has one lick of fighting skill, you know, like physically being able to fight. Uh, and I'm not as familiar with all of the different spells. So I, I kind of imagine them facing off and, you know, Vader would have his his uh his his thing there and 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 you know Voldemort would have his wand and the wand's made of wood and so if they were to clash I'm I'm sure Voldemort could spit out some juice out of the end of his wand and it would you know Vader could probably take it with his uh lightsaber and kind of disable it but we're talking about technology versus magic and that's what got me thinking I'm like could he you know could Voldemort manipulate the midichlorians could could he alter the force is the force magic is it not um so there's no real answer until i realized in the face-off that a lightsaber and no amount of technology or force pushing or pulling or lightning or any of that could stop the killing curse there you know it's it's you can't block it so once voldemort threw that thing out there and hit him. Um, you know, the only question would be if he could hit him. I think he could, especially old uh, Darth Vader. So I had have to, even though Darth Vader is my favorite of the two, uh, and I had to get over my own bias to come to this solution, I think Voldemort would win, hands down. Um, yeah, before it even started because of that. I don't I just don't think technology or or anything that Vader has in his skill set could protect him from the killing curse. So that is um that's all I have to say about that. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gospel of Kennison. As always, if you have any questions or thoughts or anything like that, please email them to james at nlcast.com. Um I am considering starting a new podcast. It would be an advice show. So there would be a lot more Q&A kind of like this. So if you enjoyed this at all, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to see you on Facebook on our uh, uh, the NLCast uh, community. It's, uh, it's on Facebook. It's free to join. You just request and jump in there and you'll start talking to a bunch of really nice people. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash NLCast and that'll get you right in there. You can follow me on Twitter at NLCast. Um, you can call the show if you want, 209-5-NLCast, 
2095 NLCast or email me again at james at NLCast.com. Um, thank you for um, all of our patrons that sponsor this show. And, um, you know, this is just something I do on the side. And it's a lot of fun. And it's a time to be personal and a little off the cuff. And, uh, you know, every I just want to put a disclaimer out there that, um, especially when I answered uh, a couple of the questions, I am speaking from a place of pain. Um, when I When I talk about God... I'm I'm still in recovery from um from not being a pastor anymore or a real one I would say um I know some of you argue with me about that but I'm talking about a a guy that's working nine to five you know Sundays and stuff and doing the suit and the tie and the visitations and the marrying and burying and all that kind of stuff um I'm 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 pretty happy where I am but. And I feel closer to God than I've ever been, but also very unsure about everything. I feel like my tree has been shaken, and um, I, I like it. I, I think it's an I think it's a good place to be. Um, but I think you could hear it in my voice that I've been hurt, and I've had to come to terms with a you know a God that uh, doesn't always. Um, answer prayers the way you want. He always has taken care of us. I can look back and see um, his hand in things, even though at the time I would have spit in your face if you told me that God had a plan for the hell that I was going through. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, God's good and, and I believe in him and I trust him and I surrender to him. And I do my best and I fail constantly, just like you do. So if you're offended by anything, please let me know. Um, I'm probably right there with you. I don't like the things I say and the things I believe um, half as much as you might imagine. I, um, I'm testing them and I'm proving it and or disproving it as I go. Everything is in question except for uh, the sonship of Jesus Christ and and the lordship, godship of God and, you know, all that stuff. I got all that stuff down. It's just how it works out in my life is is so different now than it was. And um, if you want to talk more about God or have questions, uh, send those in too. Um, I have conversations off the air through email constantly with folks with depression, anxiety, um, questions about God and um, things like that. That's why I considered, you know, starting a, another show about advice. Um, anyway, I'm going to get off this thing and we'll see you guys next time right here on the gospel of Kennison. God bless you.